Well, I'm curious, uh, what was the first thing that you were ever afraid of? I mean, was it, uh, was it uh, being alone in the dark all by yourself? Was it, uh, was it getting hurt, you know, uh, falling down the stairs or maybe uh, falling off your bike? Uh, or was it the monster that moved into your room and took up residence underneath your bed? And, and you don't know exactly when it happened, but it did. And it's the reason that every night before bed, you'd have to ask your parents, no monsters, right? And what was the first thing you were ever afraid of? See, I'd imagine that's uh, the kind of question that when I ask it, uh, begins to bring all sorts of things to mind. Things like uh, your neighbor's dog, things like uh, the preschool bully, and, uh, and things like the darkest, scariest corner in your parents' basement. Uh, things that, uh, as the dad of uh, two going on three kids, I've become pretty familiar with uh, the past couple of years. Things that make you afraid. What was the first thing you were ever afraid of? Now, I'm guessing uh, that this is probably not the kind of question uh, that you were expecting a pastor to ask you on Easter morning, because uh, on Easter morning uh, and on Easter in general, we tend to think about things like hope and joy, victory and triumph, because Jesus is risen. You see, here's the thing. Uh, before the Easter story is ever a story about those things, it's first a story about fear. As we uh, begin to explore this story this morning, as we begin to imagine what this story might just mean for us, uh, it's that very fact uh, that I want to point out. And then, then I want you to imagine this story through the eyes of those who first heard it. These two women. Uh, both of them, uh, their names are Mary, and if you're one of them, if you're Mary Magdalene, for example, it's a story that starts with fear. You see, if you're, uh, if you're Mary Magdalene, uh, that's how the story starts, uh, but things weren't always this way. You see, uh, just a week ago, you were marching into Jerusalem. You were marching into Jerusalem with Jesus, and you were on top of the world. You see, Jesus, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and it was this undeniable scene, and, and those who see it began to believe in him. They began to believe in Jesus. And it reminds you of the moment that you first believed. You see, there were seven demons, seven demons inside of you, and Jesus cast them out, and it changed your life. It changed your life forever. And so that's why you follow him, and you follow him all the way to the city of Jerusalem, the, the city that you entered a, a week ago. And every day there, you're, you're there, he preaches and teaches he spars with the religious leaders, and then on Thursday evening, he celebrates the Passover. And none of this is out of the ordinary. I mean, everything is going according to plan, but nothing, nothing can prepare you for what happens next. You see, Judas, one of your own, goes to the chief priests, and he asks them, what will you give me if I hand him over to you. 
You see, it, uh, it sets in motion this series of events that eventually leads to his death, uh, an arrest in the garden, a trial before Pilate, and then finally an execution in the most horrific manner. And so now it's Friday morning. Now you're standing at the foot of the cross, and it's hard to believe how much can change in just 24 hours. I mean, you were, you were on top of the world. He changed your life. He changed the lives of others. But now, now the man who could do no wrong is just hanging there. And it's excruciating. And then he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's his question, but you ask it too. I mean, why God, why have you forsaken me? And that's when Jesus finally gives up his spirit and dies. You know, the worst part of it all is that no one does anything. I mean, it's not even until evening that Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks him, can you give me his body? I'd like to bury him in my tomb. You know, there isn't uh, the time uh, that it typically takes to make uh, the usual preparations. I mean, usually uh, you'd wash it off. Usually you'd wrap it in linen. Usually you'd cover it in perfume. But nothing, nothing about this is normal. And, and tomorrow is the Sabbath. And so these things, these things are going to have to wait until Sunday. And that's why it's with unfinished business that Arimathea rolls the stone in front of the tomb. You see, that brings us to Saturday. And, and the scriptures are silent about Saturday. They don't say anything, but words like broken and defeated begin to describe it. But there's also something else. Fear. Fear. You see, the city was in uproar. Crucify him. That's what they said. And, 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 and you are one of his followers, and they know that you follow him because they were standing there. They were watching you as you were standing at the foot of the cross. And, and you're not even from Jerusalem. I mean, it's a three, maybe four-day walk to get from where you are all the way back to Galilee. And when you get there, what are you going to do? I mean, you left your life behind to follow him. Do you really think that there's a life back there in Galilee for you? And so these things are racing through your mind on Saturday. But when you wake up on Sunday, you've got work to do. So you leave the city and you head for the tomb and, and you know that the guards are going to be there, but maybe, maybe they can help you roll back the stone. And yet when you get there, you discover something else. These trained Roman soldiers, these trained Roman soldiers who are feared all around the world have been immobilized. And the stone, the rock that it took several large men to move has been rolled back. And, you know, someday you're going to see this as a sign of victory. But right now it terrifies you. I mean, who on earth could do something like this? And the answer is no one. Because the angel of light sitting on top of that stone isn't from this earth. 
And that's when you hear these words, do not be afraid. But, but that's exactly what you are, afraid. I mean, look at what this guy has got the power to do. And, and that's when he tells you that Jesus is risen. And at first it seems too good to be true. But then he says, come, come see the place where he used to lay. And, and so you go and you see. And then he says, go and tell the disciples. And finally, he gives you this promise. Jesus is going to Galilee. There you will see him. And so you leave the tomb. And there's hope. There's joy. And one day you'll even come to see it as a a sign of victory. But right now, the fear remains. I mean, you just saw an angel, and, and, and you just learned that dead people don't always stay dead, and, and you've had your future turned upside down. I mean, Jesus is going to Galilee. That's what the angel said to you, but now you're wishing that you'd ask the angel, yeah, what happens after that? And so your fear remains. And here's what I want you to notice, uh, and, and this is a big deal for people like us as we gather here today. Even those who've seen our risen Lord are sometimes afraid. And so it's okay. I mean, it's okay to believe in Jesus and sometimes still be afraid. You see, that's not all, uh, because uh, there's something else, something else I want you to notice, and that something is this. Even though their fear remains, now it doesn't remain alone. And a couple of years ago, I, uh, I told you uh, the story about a friend of mine from Maryland, uh, is a guy named Tyrone, and, uh, and the two of us uh, had gotten to know each other uh, because he worked at Chick-fil-A, and, uh, and maybe I'm a kind of strange pastor, but I like to write sermons at Chick-fil-A. And so, uh, and so two years ago on Easter, uh, I told you about my, my friend named Tyrone. But I also told you uh, that it was uh, just the week before Easter that I, I learned that his younger brother... Uh, had just passed away. You see, he was, uh, he was shot to death under circumstances uh, that I'm still not entirely sure of. As you can probably imagine, uh, it's, it's the week before Easter, I'm talking to Tyrone, and, uh, and he is grief-stricken. Steve, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, and what I told you two years ago is that, uh, that these are the sorts of moments that you are built for as a pastor. I mean, these are the sorts of moments where the resurrection really matters because Jesus is risen, or, uh, or as we like to say, Christ is risen. And because he's risen, I, uh, I told him, so will you. And so will your brother. You know, that's what I've, uh, I've been telling him uh, ever since. And, and yet, uh, this strange thing happens when someone passes away, and, and maybe, you, uh, maybe you know what it's like, life moves on. You know, for Tyrone, uh, over the past two years, the, that's involved things like, uh, like starting a new job. Things like, uh, get this, he, he got married. And then things like, uh, like having a kid. 
I mean, I met this guy uh, a number of years ago back, back when he was in high school, but, but now he's a father. And yet over the past two years, uh, the impact of his brother's life has continued to punctuate uh, his rather joy-filled life. You know, uh, we'll be talking on the phone or uh, he'll send me a text and he'll say something like, Steve, I thought I'd gotten over this. You know, I think about uh, Tyrone uh, every time Easter uh, rolls around. And, uh, and he and I we were texting uh, earlier this week. And, uh, and as we were, uh, I found myself thinking about the story uh, that we just heard. The story uh, about those two women uh, who go to see Jesus at the tomb. And then I found myself thinking about the fact that even those who've seen our risen Lord are sometimes afraid. You know, in the case of Tyrone, uh, even those who believe in Jesus sometimes are jolted out of life's joyful moments. You know, maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you know what it's like uh, to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday morning and then head home uh, to a really tense conversation. Maybe it's in the car, maybe it's around the table. Or maybe you know what it's like to trust in God's provision, but then deal with the uncertainty of where your job is going to go. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you know what it's like to believe, to really believe, uh, but then struggle with this ongoing illness or, or to struggle with the, uh, the loneliness that accompanies an empty house or, or to struggle with any number of other things that we face in this life. I mean, maybe you know what it's like to be jolted out of your joyful moments. You know, it's not to say that you don't believe, uh, that you don't believe in Jesus' promise that one day he's going to return, one day uh, he's going to raise the dead, one day uh, there's going to be a new creation. But it is to say that on this side of eternity, sometimes, sometimes the fear or whatever else it is just remains. You see, if that's the case for you, uh, then there's two things I want you to notice this morning. First, uh, I want you to notice that even those who've seen our risen Lord are sometimes afraid. And, and so it's okay. It's okay. Now, the fear uh, that you face in life, uh, it isn't a sign of weakness, and it isn't a sign that there's something wrong with your faith. It simply means that you, like all the rest of us, are waiting for Jesus to return. And so it's okay. But the second thing I want you to notice is that because Jesus is risen, now your fear no longer remains alone. I mean, these women, they leave the tomb, but that's when they see Jesus. And when they see him, he shows them that he really is risen, just like he said. And, and because he is, even though their fear remains, even though they don't know what their future holds, they know the one who holds it. Because Jesus is risen. 
You see, that changes everything because, because Jesus is risen, death doesn't get the last word in your life. Because Jesus is risen, uh, sin has lost its stranglehold over you. And so, yes, the fear may remain, but now it no longer remains alone. And the promise that Jesus gives us is that it never remains alone. You see, that, that is what we remember today. And this past week, uh, I learned a, a really interesting, at least to a, a pastor, a really interesting detail uh, about today's reading. See, I learned uh, that the command, do not be afraid, is the most common command in the Bible. It appears all over the place, uh, between the Old and New Testaments, uh, a couple of hundred times. Yet what strikes me today is that these words, which we often hear as comfort, are also, and maybe even originally intended, to offer courage. Because it takes courage to live in a world where fear still remains. And sometimes, sometimes that courage looks like the courage to leave an empty tomb and face a future that remains unknown to you. And sometimes that courage, sometimes that courage uh, looks like taking the next step and the step after that when your brother is shot to death and you don't know why. And sometimes that courage looks like heading home to a tense conversation. Sometimes that courage looks like dealing with the uncertainty of a job. Sometimes that courage looks like all sorts of things. And yet it's this kind of courage that Jesus gives to people like me and you. The courage to face this day and the next and the one after that because the tomb really is empty. And when we go there, the angel is sitting on the stone, and that angel has good news for us, good news that changes everything about our lives, because death no longer gets the last word in us. Sin has lost its stranglehold, and as we like to say together, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. May God grant you that grace this day and every day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.